Let's pray now that God uses this time well for us. Heavenly Father, teach us through your word now to love you, to know ourselves before you, that we might love those around us. To your glory we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sick of cleaning. I'm just sick of cleaning. I just always have to clean. The cleaning never ends. I went to my dentist this week, and uh, I was there for something else, and he said, oh, why are you here? Do you want me to clean your teeth? I said, no, I was here like six months ago, and you did it. That's plenty for me. You know, normally we only come every five years. And, and he was like, what? He's like, you need to get it cleaned every 12 months. I said, 12 months? He said, and then it, this is how he tried to explain it to me. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's like you're going to get a blood test every 12 months just to check up. I said, no one gets a blood test every 12 months. That's, that's not normal. And so I told him, you're, you're the weird. You do? Yeah. All right, well, maybe some people do. Anyway, so he cleaned my teeth, and it just reminded me how sick of cleaning. It just, I, want, I want the cleaning to be over, you know, the house, it's all, you know, I, just, I tried one of the robot vacuum cleaners to try and, you know, fix my house cleaning problems, and it just kept getting stuck. I had to rescue it all the time. The cleaning, there's no solution. It just goes on and on and on and on. Have you, have you noticed that the, uh, the pub we go to after church sometimes, there's that, the robot that carries all the dishes? See, someone there is looking for a way out. They're like, I never want to have to do this again. Well, all of this is a little bit like Paul and sin, in that <laughs> he's, he wants to be done with sin. He's, he's sick of it. He just wants, he wants it to be over with. He's born again. He's been saved. He's eternally secure with his Lord. The black stain of sin which separated him from God, it's been, it's been removed. He, in God's eyes, he is righteous. And so Paul, he wants to be done with sin. And yet, to his horror and to ours, when we look at our lives, we see that we are still struggling with sin. We are forever having to fight with it, to repent of it, despite being saved from it. One day we'll be made new and we can put it past us, but until then we are having to deal with it, to our shame and frustration, one mess after another. That's our passage. That is what Romans 7 is about. Paul is sharing this struggle with us. We'll look at our passage in three sections. Uh, firstly, kind of the relationship to the law, our relationship to the law, and then uh, the law to sin, and then finally us to sin. Uh, it should all make sense. We'll step through. You can follow along in the outline or up on screen. Let's get into it. Firstly, serving in the Spirit, not the law. That's the first section, verses 1 to 6. Paul's, in this first section, he's keen to show believers that they are free from the law, in that the law, it brought death, but now Paul is saying there's a new way. Now we can serve God in the Spirit and have life. But this, actually, it's important to be really clear about the Old Testament law, and this is why Paul takes the time to do this in this chapter. He's saying the law is, is good, but the law is not our boss anymore. And so that's the point of the first six verses here. Paul, in, in the previous chapter, 6 verse 14, he says, you are not under the law, but under grace. He says it clearly, you're not under the law, but under grace. Uh, but it's a statement that needs defending, because God's law was good. It was, it was the means to life. But Paul wants us to see that we are not under the law. We, we've died to Christ, and so now we, we live a new life by the Spirit. And once we've died, he says, 
new rules apply. And so that, that's what he's saying in the second half of verse 1 of chapter 7. Have a look at uh, verse 1. In the second half there, it says, Are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? And so <clears throat> he's saying the law only applies if you're alive to be under it, which is simple enough. And he gives the example of marriage. Um, you know, so the marriage ends and, and that person's no longer under that law. Uh, and, you know, lots of our laws and contracts work that way. When we die, you know, think of health insurance or, or life, in, uh, life insurance policy. When we die, the policy ends. Whatever rules applied before, they end when we die. And so it's the same he's saying here with God's law in the old covenant. When we die and we're born again with Christ, the old covenant laws don't apply to us anymore. You're released from the law as your master, verse 6 says. Verse 6, but now we've been released from the law since we have died to what held us. See, he says it it, it used to hold you, but now you're free from it. You're free, not free as in unattached. Now we're joined to Christ, to the Spirit of God. So verse 6 continues saying, we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. And so you see there are two masters that he talks about. One master is the law and the other is the spirit. We were under the law, but now we're under the spirit. In the Old Testament, God set up uh, a contract, a covenant, a way of relating to him for his people. You know, and, and you could be accepted by God if you kept his law. But now, in, in the New Testament, the New Covenant, God uh, sends his son to make a new, better contract to offer a new, better way of relating to God. Now you can be declared righteous in Christ and serve him by the power of the Spirit. And so we're we're a new person now in the Spirit. And that's what makes uh, chapter 7 so rich and interesting and perhaps a little bit confusing uh, because while we're a new person, sadly we still do the old things. There's a tension running through the chapter uh, the chapter is dealing with who we are versus what we do, if you could put it like that. So who we are, you know, we are of the Spirit, verse 6 says. We're, we're free, we're liberated from the law, we're born again in Christ. That's who we are. But chapter 7 is also wrestling with what we're like. We're still sinful people. Along with all sons and daughters of Adam, we still sin. That is still what we do while we are in these bodies. The humans, they sin. That's just what they're like. Uh, Except the one human, the man Jesus, who saves us through his sinlessness. And so that's what our chapter's about. Uh, The first 13 verses here, he's he's reminding us about who we are. He's saying we're not under the law, but serving in the way of the Spirit. That's the first six verses. The second section I've called Sin Caesar's Law Keepers. Sin Caesar's Law. Law keepers. That's kind of the, the key point he makes in uh, verses 7 to 13. And it's all about this relationship between law and sin. And see, Paul has to actually defend himself because it looks like he's saying the law is bad. But here he argues the law isn't the problem, I am. The, the problem is not with the law, the problem is with human nature, with me, Paul says. The law is good, the problem is our nature, and it means that. The good law actually leads us to do bad things. It's a strange idea, isn't it? 
Let's see his argument. Verse 7, he asks, What should we say then? Is the law sin? His reply, absolutely not. And then he continues saying, The, the, the law it tells us what's good. It shows us our sin. Uh, and then he gives the example of coveting. You know, uh, The law it, it told me what it was to covet. Or you know, that's what the law does. It teaches us how to love or it teaches us about our selfishness. Uh, and so he's saying the law is good. Uh, verse 7 explains... So what's the problem? Well, the problem is us. Uh, you know, in the words of verse 14, he says, I'm made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. So our flesh, our, our nature, is under sin's power. It's corrupt. We're enslaved to sin. And so the law is good, but our sinful nature is not. We take the good law, the good commands, and we use them for sin. And so verse 8, uh, verse 8 says, uh, of the do not covet command... It says, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. So look at that. The the law, do not covet, actually produces sin in us. The good law actually produces sin. That's how broken we are. I I also remember the late John Chapman, who was a a much-loved Sydney uh, minister, a bit of an eccentric guy, actually, really, and uh, but what, he was he was telling how he used to catch the train to work every day. Uh, there he is on the train trip, his regular commute. And one day he noticed on the train there was a sign saying "No spitting," no uh, no spitting sign on the train. And he thought, how strange! Why is there a sign there saying "No spitting"? Like, who would want to spit on the train? Why do they have to put a sign there to stop people spitting? He'd never, like he'd never even imagined spitting on the train, and yet there's a sign for exactly that. And so, you know, day after day, he'd catch a train, and he'd be pondering this sign. Like, why is it, who would want it, why would someone want to, and as he kept thinking about this sign, he found himself salivating, and uh, sure enough, one day, spit. And, you know, as he spat, he, he says, he found himself thinking, why did I do that? Where, why did I, I never wanted to spit, and yet, there he was. And so, <laughs> You know, the law, the good law, had produced in him uh, sin. This is kind of what, exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, or, you know, uh, you know, people have observed this in themselves. So, uh, you know, a precursor to teenagers putting graffiti everywhere, you might say, was uh, the famous St. Augustine in his Confessions. He talks about being a, a teenager stealing pears just, just for the heck of it, you know, just because he wanted to know what it was like to be a thief, and he just didn't even eat them. He says he threw them away. And he's kind of he reflected on this and saying, look at my sinful nature there. I just wanted to do something bad. I just wanted to break the law, do not steal. Um, or, you know, the phenomenon of rich people shoplifting. I don't know, it's a pretty well-documented phenomenon. Like, rich people, they just, they nick things kind of for the thrill of it. Uh, you know, so one example from tabloids in 2001, Hollywood actress Winona Ryder, she was earning at that point about $10 million per film. So she's doing really well, and she was caught shoplifting handbags and, like, hair ties and things. Like, just, Why? There's something about our nature. The equation is something like this. Uh, flesh plus law equals sin. It's kind of, it's kind of how uh, Paul seems to put it. It's not that the laws are bad. The issue is our, our sinful human nature. Uh, and so the law actually produces sin in us. So have a look at verse 11 where Paul repeats himself and sums it all up. Verse 11 says, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, 
and through it killed me. Sin, look, he's saying it's, it deceived me and killed me because ultimately uh, sin leads to death. And so that's why he needs salvation by faith alone because all the law does is produce more sin in us. Uh, this is all very, uh, very much a new way of thinking about laws. Uh, you know, I think, I think our society thinks that laws are generally a good idea. Surely some, uh, some legislation will produce more good. Surely more laws will produce more good. Uh, you know, I began by sharing my struggle to keep the house clean. Well, surely if I put little reminders on post-it notes up everywhere, it'll help me. If I can just put enough reminders, enough little rules around, enough laminated signs. You know, you, you try it with your work, uh, in your workplace or with your housemates. Just enough post-it notes or, and laminated signs, maybe a few emails, just explaining what people need to do. Wipe the bench. Don't leave dirty dishes there. Surely the more signs, the better the outcome will be, right? It doesn't work that way, does it? It just, for some reason, it doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and, and the same could be said for trying to eat well or exercise or whatever it is. Human nature does not work that way. Laws do not generate good behavior, not when it comes to human nature. And so Paul's point is actually pretty simple, and yet it is very profound. The forces, <clears throat> Paul's, his observation about the law, it forces us towards the gospel because we cannot look to the law to be saved. And so we're forced to look to the gospel to be saved from sin. Well, that's our second section. Look at that. Two out of three done in the, in the famous Romans chapter 7. The third section I've called the struggle uh, with sin of those who are in the spirit. Because Paul is describing what it's like to live as someone with the Spirit, and yet struggling with sin. Paul's been describing generally, uh, in the previous sections in chapter 7, he's been describing all humanity, kind of how they wrestle with the law, human nature, and sin. And it's been in the past tense almost entirely. This is what it used to be like for me. But now he talks about as a Christian. Now he says as a Christian, and he shifts to the present tense, uh, he's talking about now his life as a Christian, and he's describing that struggle now as someone in the Spirit. He knows the good that he should do, and yet he can't. And so have a look at verse, verse 15, for an example. Have a look. It says, uh, I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. This is such a, such a striking statement. I do what I hate. You know, even as a, a Spirit-filled, born-again Christian, he still struggles with sin, and, and it's so powerful. I, I do what I hate. You know, it's a personal cry, is, is one of the things we notice here. It's a very personal cry. Uh, you know, again in verse 19, we see that personal anguish. Uh, he says, I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. It's a bit of a tongue twister, as, as much as the chapter is. E did very well in reading it. Thank you, E. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's lamenting. He's saying, woe is me. I, I cannot do this thing that I know I need to do. And this is the cry of every Christian, every, every born-again follower of Jesus is in his same shoes. We still struggle with the good that we know we should do. Our experience of the Christian life, it, it points to this passage needing to be in the Bible. It, you know, it, it has to be there because Paul here is, uh, is sharing his struggle that we, that we might know that it's normal that this is what life is like, 
this side of the new creation. You know, even though you've, even though you've given your life to Jesus, you still find yourself sinning, you know? Uh, you know, you still find yourself wrestling with sin, you know, with greed or whatever it is, and you find yourself thinking, what's my problem? I'm meant to be a Christian. I don't know if you can relate to this feeling in your own life. Uh, d- does Paul cry ring true for you? You know, you know we, we know that Jesus gives us everything we need, and yet our, our lust and our appetite are unquenchable, and we see it in, in all kinds of areas, the big and the small. Uh, you know, for me, I, it's funny, for me, I see it when I'm, when I'm eating food, and the only thing that stops me eating like a, a pot of Belgian uh, dark chocolate ice cream is, is the fact that I start feeling sick. It's like, where is my self-control? You see it in all kinds of areas. And so Paul's word speaks to our broken hearts. Uh, Paul, uh, in, in, in chapter 7 here, it's a gift to Christians, a heart cry from Paul. Because Paul, he was, is such an esteemed brother, isn't he? You know, if anyone was getting it right, Paul was. If anyone was walking with the Spirit, Paul was. If anyone was trying to live tirelessly for the kingdom, Paul was. And yet here he pours out his heart to us and he describes his daily struggle, his daily struggle with sin. And so this passage is God's gift to us to say, yes, that's right, you're not alone in this struggle. You're not alone. Uh, it's not that you're not saved in Christ, it's just that you're still a fleshly human, which is kind of the, the next sub-point I, I wanted to point out. The problem is our flesh. We're still human. We still have human minds, hearts, and bodies, uh, and we're prone to sin. So verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh sold into sin's power. And so he kind of makes this contrast between uh, you know, the spirit or, or the mind that knows what it should do uh, and the flesh uh, or the body or the human nature. He's kind of describing the way that he is torn apart internally, the different parts of him, and trying to live out uh, the, the way that he should. And Paul here is speaking from his worldview. He's a follower of Jesus. He's filled by the Spirit. Uh, and yet he's broken. And uh, it's an explanation about why he can't do the good that he knows that he should do. Um, and and different, different worldviews have different explanations of this. Uh, you know, our society usually puts it down to a lack of education or, or failure of the brain. Like, why don't people do what they should? You know, it's, they, haven't, they don't know the right things is kind of our world's um, answer. As I was mulling over at chapter 7, uh, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Criminal. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting podcast. Uh, it's normally about some kind of crime, interviewing the, the perpetrators or the victims and exploring why they, why they did it. And uh, they always begin the podcast with an ad for a mental health program called Better Health. And uh, as the ad played, I, I had Paul's words in the back of my head, and I've, I've uh, written them up there. It said, Making the right decision is not always easy. You might know what you should do, but your brain keeps second-guessing. Therapy might be able to offer a path forward. Make your brain your friend with better help online therapy. It just it was surprising. Uh, you know, It's wrestling with a similar thing to Paul here. Why don't people do what they should? And, uh, and the implication almost seemed to be, you know, all these uh, acts of crime, maybe they should have gone to therapy. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just an ad, so you don't want to overanalyze it. And, and therapy is very helpful. And yet, as a, you know, as a suggestion as to why people don't do 
what they know they should. It's a, it's a pretty simple, flat answer. It's, it's as flat as our society's worldview. But Paul here is going much deeper. It's much deeper than just the brain. Um, he's saying it's our hearts, it's our flesh. Ultimately, Paul says we need to be remade in chapter 8. We need to be remade is the Bible's answer. So as Will Timmons, uh, an Old Testament scholar, um, he says, we remain irreparably impaired people. We just we don't have what it takes. We remain irreparably, but not irredeemably impaired people because we, we can be redeemed. We are redeemed in Christ and we will be made new. Uh, and then, then it'll be different. And that's, uh, that's the next chapter. Will Timmons' article is really helpful on Romans chapter 7. If you want to uh, read a bit further, I encourage you to do that. But to follow Paul's argument uh, for a moment, we'll step through some of these verses. So verses 14 and 15 share the issue of our fleshly bodies. And then verse 16 says, the fact that we struggle actually means that we can see the law's good. So have a look at verse 16. It says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So can, can you relate to this? Uh, you, you know that you have the desire to do the good thing. Uh, Paul says in verse 18, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do that. You, you know that feeling? You, you want to do the right thing, right? <clears throat> we desire to live uh, sinlessly, a sin-free life. But he says we don't have the ability to do it. We just don't have the ability. Uh, if you have this desire, you know you're in a good place. Uh, uh, Paul is saying here, if you're struggling with sin, if you're frustrated by the fact that you keep sinning, that's a sign that you're actually saved, that you're with the Spirit, that you know God's law is good, that you want to please God. Um, it, it, it's a good sign that you are saved. That we fight sin is a sign that we love God's law, as Paul does. And then Paul says something surprising. Uh, he says uh, that if all of this is true, then in a way, it's actually not me doing the sin. It's a, it's a strange thing to say. He says it's not us, the new saved person, but the old sinful persons. So have a look at verse 17. It says, So now I am no longer the one doing it. But it is sin living in me. Isn't it interesting? Paul, he distances himself from his sin. It's not me, but sin living in me. Or again, he says in verse 20, verse 20, Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But it is the sin that lives in me. It's fascinating, isn't it? He says, because I am saved, I, who am I? I am saved, I am redeemed in God's sight. That's who I truly am. And yet, we still sin, but only for a little while. And so that, that sin in me, it's, it's not really who I am. It's such a fascinating uh, passage. And yet now, we still struggle. Now, the evil is still with us. Paul says in verse 21, when I want to do what is good, evil is with me. The evil is still there. And so there's a war, there's an internal struggle, uh, and yet it's the greatest sign that you're fighting this war, that you're trying to wrestle with sin, is the greatest sign that we are of the Spirit, that we're born again. Yes, we despair our sin, but, but the despair is a sign we're meant for better things that will soon come as we are made new. We never, we never settle in our sin, 
Uh, rather, we wage war against it. We, we're always tearing ourselves apart, trying to cut out the sin. See, he, Paul, Paul here doesn't excuse his sin, does he? He's not saying, oh, never mind, or oops. No, he calls himself a wretched man because of the evil sin that is still in him. We hate the sin, which drives us to look to Jesus for forgiveness in faith alone for salvation. As Paul does, kind of wrapping up, in verse 24 he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as he reflects on himself, it drives him to Jesus to look for salvation by grace. And that's what chapter 8, chapter 8 is this, uh, the next chapter is this great uh, melody, this great picture of living in the Spirit and the Spirit delivering us through trials until we're made new. And so we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. Well, uh, we've made it through our passage. Uh, let me conclude uh, with a couple of uh, quick points, tying it all together. Uh, three, three points, take-home points, um, using the great gospel paradigm of faith, hope, and love. Uh, so, you know, what does Romans 7 teach us about faith? Well, faith, it, it teaches that faith is going to mean going outside of ourselves. We have to go outside of ourselves to be saved and to live the Christian life. So remember verse 18, it said, For I know, the good, uh, that I know that nothing good lives in me, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. See, Romans 7 is saying, we just don't have what it takes to do good. We're never going to get there. You know, if you're here and you haven't really understood that about yourself, there's a problem, right? We, we have to begin there. We have to realize that we do not have what it takes. Uh, and that, that is, you know, the famous Sermon on the Mount. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the poor in spirit who will inherit the world. Those who are humble, like Paul, and who realize that we have no such ability to save ourselves by being good through the law. Because those people, they're the ones that cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? And they look to Jesus. And so we've got to go outside ourselves to be saved, but also just to live day by day. As his followers, day by day, we need to rely on the Spirit's power because we know we don't have the ability to do the good that we should. So we have to keep going back to Jesus, the, the, the abundant fountain of life, as we continue to drink the water for each day uh, to live for him. And so knowing ourselves from Romans 7, it feeds the life of faith. Secondly, uh, Romans 7 and hope. Knowing ourselves in Romans 7, it, it feeds the life of hope where even our weaknesses remind us of our great hope. You know, we, we participate now in the resurrection hope, the resurrection life of Christ. We are there already. That's what Paul's saying. We, we are not that sinful person. That is not who we are. We are already part of the heavenly body. And yet, as we await the, the final resurrection of the dead, when our broken bodies will be raised and be glorious like him, uh, we're waiting for that, aren't we? And so now, every, at every turn, we live with great hope of resurrection life. And finally, at Romans 7, it changes how we love, how we love God and our neighbor. You know, if we don't admit that we're broken, like Romans 7 shows us, then we're either going to think that we're perfect already, uh, you know, we're going to think that we can keep the law, uh, and then we're going to think that we're better than those around us. You know, and this was the picture of the Pharisees, isn't it? The Pharisees, you know, just picture them walking past the Samaritan in the ditch. They, they were too good to, to help that person. 
to truly love their neighbour. And so they distanced themselves from those that were inferior. But if we embrace Romans 7, God is going to use the law in our lives to show us that we're just like Adam. We're, we're the, the typical sinner. And uh, we're going to realise that we're as helpless as the lowest person <laughs> that we could ever meet. And so you can only truly love people when you're down on their level. And so knowing ourselves in Romans 7, it frees us to love those around us. We all must, like Paul, who, who wrote it, we all must be broken, you know, as he was on the road to Damascus. He had much pride, and God broke him on the road to Damascus when Christ called him. And Paul stayed a humble man. But what an abundant harvest grew from the soil of that brokenness. And so only from such men and women can words of life and grace flow. And so we see, uh, you know, we see such words in Romans chapter 8. Uh, you know, a glorious melody of, of assurance, comfort, and hope. And we're actually going to take three weeks to go through it. It's such an amazing chapter of the Bible to really soak in chapter 8. But there's no chapter 8 without chapter 7. And so uh, let's pray that from our brokenness an abundant harvest might grow to God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Show us the full extent of our brokenness, our inability to do the good that we should do. And Lord, may us drive us all to the foot of the cross and in faith to call on the name of Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Father, may we not be dragged down by our sin, but help us to look to your hope of salvation and resurrection life. By your Spirit's power, give us the strength to defeat sin with hope of glory. In his name we pray. Amen.